0: Alrighty, righty, hello, everyone, and welcome to the DealMaker Show. So today we have a, a founder here from New York City, so not far away from where I'm at, which is also New York City. But anyhow, I think we're going to be learning a lot from him and very excited to have him on the show. So without further ado, John Stein from Betterman. Welcome on board. Hi,
1: Alejandro. Nice to be here with you. Thank you.
0: So doing here a little walk through memory lane, Uh, I understand that you did a little bit of consulting, and this is something that I hear a lot of founders, that that they've done, a lot of successful founders especially, and you did this with First Manhattan, so what were some of the learnings that you got from this experience?
1: At that time, and this was uh, 2003 to 2007 or so that I was working for First Manhattan, the banks were in a great growth boom, and we were consulting them on where to open branches and retail product strategy, product design and, uh, and then uh, corporate uh, investment management and things like that. Uh, I learned so much from those experiences about how banks work and how, how the, the industry was was operating. And one of the things that I found was that while they were always thinking about how to make the most money for themselves, they were very rarely thinking about how to make the most money for their customers. And I found that the banks weren't customer-centric, all like good people, like well-intentioned folks working there, but just struggled to really innovate around the customer. The same old products were being sold, you know, the pricing might be dusted off, but effectively selling the same old thing. And I wanted to build something really different and new. One of my clients was in Australia, and I found it so interesting to see how some of the financial products there in Australia were different from the ones here. They had a mortgage offset product, for instance. And I thought that was such a cool combination of a mortgage and a deposit product. And I thought, why are products set in stone? And and why can't we innovate around what customers want today? And one of the areas where I thought we needed the most innovation was around investing. I, I uh, you know, invested the little bit of money that I'd earned in my consulting uh, job uh, into uh, into like seven different brokerage accounts that I opened over the years. And each one I found was trying to direct me to do the things that might be best for them, but not the things that would be best for my long-term wealth. They were trying to get me to trade. They were trying to get me. Uh, to buy certain products, and I thought there really ought to be financial advice that was aligned with me, the customer, um, and it should be accessible to everyone. And I realized that that kind of innovation wasn't going to come from the industry; that uh, that they had you know too much of an interest in, in the status quo and keeping things the way they were. So I undertook to build Betterment to, to change the industry to make it truly customer centric.
0: Got it. And and the journey the um the incubation process of, of Betterment? Because I understand that the co-founders of Betterman, it's like they came together at some point. So how did you meet your co-founders?
1: I initially was foolish enough to think that I was just going to do everything myself. I thought right. I can code, I'm going to do the coding, I can read legal books and I'll figure out the legal and regulatory structure. It was a lot to take on, and, but I, I relished the challenge of it. And, uh, and over time, I realized there was more than I could possibly do. And luckily, I, I had a friend who was uh, an engineer, who's was an engineer at Google at the time, and he took on helping to stand up the site and build uh, some of the back end. And I had another friend uh, who I met uh, uh, through, through a mutual friend who uh, was a lawyer. And it turned out he was a securities lawyer. And he was really interested in the kinds of problems that I was thinking about with Betterment and how we should file and um, uh, and, and be regulated. And he took all the legal books. And I was so happy to you know, hand that that work off. Um, and as we grew, we just kept finding more and more people. And I kept kind of like getting rid of another part of my job uh, as I brought on more talented people who could do it better than, than I could do it. And to me, that was the 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 best way to grow was to find things that were just keeping me super busy. And then, you know, I I would identify a need of uh, of a new hire. Um, You know, to some some extent, it feels like a failure every time you have to hire someone when you're small. You don't want to have to hire anybody. But as we've grown, I continue to appreciate the importance of delegation and and getting myself out of the
0: way. Got it. And I I understand as well that, that doing things the right way early on is the way to go. And, and unfortunately, as, as founders, sometimes we make the good calls. Sometimes we don't, but at least we learn from them. And I've heard you talk about buyout provisions for co-founders. And there's a bunch of founders that as well are listening to us. So so, what are your thoughts around this?
1: I mean, you should do a lot of thinking when you're first getting together with partners about what you wanna do and make sure everyone's excited about all the good things. It's also important to spend a little bit of time thinking about the, the downside and you know, making sure that um, everyone's protected if, if things uh, don't, don't work out. And that takes many forms. Uh, you know, one of the ways that I think is good to deal with that is having vesting of your initial stock, even if you're all co-founding together, it can be good to put some vesting in place so people have to stick around and, and earn the equity in, in, at, at the company. Another way to, to do something similar is to structure buyout provisions. So if someone is no longer contributing um, or you know participating in, in the company, and you need uh, you need to you know use that that equity for for people who are participating and contributing you have the right to, uh, to, to buy those, those folks out. There's a number of ways to structure that. It's just important to have an understanding of, you know, how you might uh,
0: add new folks and, and break up um, if that's needed, needed. Got it. And the incubation process for Betterment, like how, how much time do you think it took from like, hey, maybe, you know, this is a cool idea to, hey, this is going to be a business that I'm going to build.
1: It took longer than I could have imagined. I went to business school knowing that I wanted to start a business. I might have even had the name Betterment at that point uh, in 2007, and I started talking to my friends about it almost immediately when I got there. My poor business school classmates, like you know anyone who had to suffer through a class with me, heard a lot about Betterment and this idea, and it just kept getting refined and uh, and focused, uh, I wanted to do so much to improve the customer centricity of financial services and tackled the investment management space first and tackled a very you know, simple basic approach to, you know, classic approach to investing first uh, and made it simple enough that it was something that we could actually launch uh, and make and make real and then improve and, and build and, and make more sophisticated over the over the following years as we've done. And now I'm, I'm so excited that we continue to expand the product. And, uh, you know, we've, we've grown beyond just basic, uh, you know, investing to tax-optimized, personalized, uh, guided investing. And we're expanding even more into cash management and, and building out
0: our vision for a self-driving wallet. Really cool. Really cool. And, and building a company in the financial service space, it, and this comes obviously from— from being a recovering lawyer and thank god I'm, I'm not pushing paper any longer, but you know I, I did learn a lot and and one of the things that I learned is that definitely the financial service space involves a ton of regulation and and my question to you is how did you navigate early on all of these regulatory hurdles to really figure out how you would serve your customers
1: I wasn't sure when I first had the idea for uh, you know a service that would help customers make the most of their money. Whether the best structure would be a bank or a mutual fund or a broker or an investment advisor. So we considered all of them and and others and ultimately settled on the idea of an investment advisor because it's the structure that's most aligned with customers best interests. Um, We are independent at Betterment. We don't manufacture our own mutual funds or ETFs or, or products that we're selling so we can provide truly independent, unbiased advice uh, to our customers. Now, once we knew that uh, and and we started to register, um, we we took a long time working with the regulators, helping to really get them to understand our business, know how we wanted to help customers, because what we were proposing was really a radical and and new idea at the time. It was investment advice for everyone, and no one had ever, you know, (laughs) really proposed that or, or, or delivered that before and uh, and we got their final approval on the you know the day before we launched uh, and, and we had this launch scheduled months in advance uh, we were launching at TechCrunch disrupt in in 2010 in New York and we literally got the approval on the the day before we launched and um, you know as we've grown we've continued to place regulatory uh, uh, issues and compliance at, at the forefront of what we do. We think we have to set the standard for the industry and that regulation is is our friend. Um, because we're a fiduciary, because we act in the best interest of our customers, um, we're very pro-regulation. It's pro-customer uh, because we're already doing more than, than, than the law requires in all these regards. And, and we want to make sure that um, that every customer has access to the best kinds of financial advice, so we work closely with regulators to make sure that uh, that all those rules are evolving in a customer focused direction.
0: Got it, and we've been touching a little bit here on the some of the different offerings that you guys have, but in terms of the business model, how would you how would you say that it has evolved or, or matured over time from the time you know you were coming out of colombia and and launching this to to what betterment is today? Well, a couple of things. One,
1: we, uh, we started out as really just a, a retail investment manager, accepting retail clients uh, to manage their investments. And as I mentioned before, that, that service has become ever more sophisticated. We've also branched out. Uh, and now we're building in the fall, in, in, in October, we launched SmartSaver. Uh, which is uh, uh, basically a high yield savings account replacement it's a it's a high yield ETF with low risk uh, and it, it's currently yielding two point two five percent and so it's a great uh, investment vehicle. Um, we uh, We launched then uh, on the success of that cash analysis, which looks at your linked checking account and tells you, whether your, uh, your balance is going to cover your next three to five weeks worth of expenses. And we think it's reasonable to keep cash on hand for three to five weeks of expenses. But any more than that, sitting in your checking account is just wasting away and costing you money. And so you ought to save it or in a savings account or invest it. So we have that cash analysis. And then now in beta and rolling out shortly to, uh, to more of our customers, we introduced two-way sweep to help move that idle cash either into a savings account or sweep it back to your checking account if you need it to pay upcoming bills or to cover the next few weeks of expenses. So we continue to innovate and you'll see us doing more and more around banking. And finally, uh, we, uh, we've we launched B2B initiatives. So we partner with a number of uh, investment advisors and banks and other firms on, uh, on a white label product that helps advisors better serve and grow their clients' assets. And Uh, I think our our newest uh, line of business is Betterment for Business, which is a 401k platform where we're using the same great Betterment advisory platform to serve plan sponsors who want to provide the very
0: best 401k experience for their employees. Got it. Really cool. And and your growth has been remarkable. So how much capital do you have uh, under management today and how has that been growing over time?
1: So today we
0: manage 15 billion
1: dollars for 400,000 customers. and wow. I, I like to tell the story of, you know, when we first started out, um, we saw about 10 million dollars uh, we brought in uh, in deposits from customers over the first year. and then it was another six months to get to 20 and another three months to get to 30, and we just kept growing faster and faster uh, and that pace hasn't slowed down. So today, you know, what took us a year to earn initially $10, 10 million is just kind of an average day for us. We'll bring in $10, $10 million. And so we continue to accelerate growth as, as we extend the business uh, to, to more and more customers.
0: Really cool. And, and I see in many founders when they uh, initially launched their, their company, especially the ones that really kick the, the growth in the high gear, they have some type of event that really got them in in that direction. And and you've alluded to that, which was TechCrunch. And I understand that you guys were pitching in front of judges at the time like Marisa Mayer or Chris Saka, the the VC that that is behind Twitter and and Uber and all these other companies. Uh, how was that experience for you guys? It was one of the most exciting and terrifying
1: days of my life. I remember staying up basically all night preparing my speech to give on stage. And I had like timestamps every time I edited my speech that night. And it was like every 15 minutes all night long, I was up, you know, making some edit to it or whatever. I really obsessed over it. And I was pacing around all day before delivering it. Uh, And then we gave this presentation and the crowd applauded. And all of a sudden we had customers, right? We we signed up uh, our first 300 customers in that, in that first week. Um, and, and I was so excited and, but immediately thrown into, into the work of now serving these customers and making sure that, you know, they got their money in and, and invested and they got their money back when they needed it and all that. So it was, uh, it was so hectic and wonderful. It was, you know, like the, the classic, uh, you know, early days of a startup where
0: like, uh, everything's on fire, but it's super exciting. Got it. Got it. And at what time Do you realize maybe it's time now to to get some capital in and and to start speaking with some of the guys in the in the space? Well,
1: at that conference, um, you know, we had an idea that we might like to raise some money. It wasn't the reason for doing the conference. We went there to really give ourselves a date that we had to launch. It was a forcing mechanism more than anything. But we knew that the exposure would attract some attention, uh, obviously from customers, but also from VCs. And we used that attention to start talking about how we might want to raise money. And we'd say, well, maybe we want to raise a million dollars. And uh, But we didn't have much of a plan for what we would do with that money other than grow. And, you know, we didn't have a lot of specifics written down about, uh, you know, that, that growth strategy or what was next on the roadmap. And as we started to hear questions from investors, we got more and more of a sense of the kinds of things that they'd want to see. So we put together a presentation. And, uh, and then ultimately got serious about now we've got to raise some money and let's use this and
0: go out and pitch the right kinds of firms. And during those pitches, did you, did you see that the, perhaps the concerns or the questions were kind of like repeating and, and that helped you to really understand the, the type of pitch that you needed to put together?
1: Absolutely. Almost every conversation followed a similar flow. And so you just had to, you know, put your best foot forward and answer those questions that you could. And, you know, admit up front if you didn't have a good answer to a question, but give a plan for how you're going to go and, and figure out an answer with the funding. Um, so, you know, different investors are willing to accept different amounts of risk, but as long as they know you have a plan to, to figure it out, um, you know, I, I think that's often good enough.
0: Got it. And in your guys' case, I see that you've done six rounds of financing. If you were to count with your seed or, or perhaps a friends and family or money that you put together initially, but how much capital has been raised today that, uh, that is public?
1: $275 million we've raised to date across all of those rounds.
0: Got it. And, and with great investors too. So I see people like Fabrice Grinda, which we, funny enough, we had on the show uh, a couple of episodes ago from OLX, and now he's doing angel investing actively. With FJ Labs, I see Andy Dunn from Bonobos. And then on the VCs, I see... Folks like Bessemer Venture Partners, Anthemis Group, Menlo Ventures, or City Ventures, just to name a few. I mean, those are uh, really impressive names. So, how did you manage to to meet these investors, John? Over time, uh, we just kept showing up at industry events, and investors are
1: looking for companies to invest in too, right? So they're out there networking, and uh, you know, we'd ask for introductions and continued to meet people and. Uh, we were opportunistic, um, and uh, you know we were so lucky uh, to to meet uh, the folks from Bessemer. One of our early uh, attorneys actually introduced us to them, and I remember going out to their offices in, in Larchmont, and I remember it being love at, at first pitch. We explained what we wanted to do, and uh, and and the partner from Bessemer said, "Wow, it's great. We've been looking for a company." Helping to answer this question of what what should I do with my money uh, for a couple years, and we think you guys are the best we've seen. We'd we'd like to give you some money, Uh, and um, you know it wasn't all that quite that straightforward. Then we still had to negotiate and get it done, but it was a great uh, a great initial kind of you know uh, alignment with our vision and mission that we felt, Uh, and we've looked for that
0: subsequently in every round. We've looked for that same kind of alignment. Got it, and obviously there is different trades that you're looking after in, in, in any investor, depending on the, on the financing cycle, because the same trades are not going to be the ones that you look for someone on a, let's say series a, uh, compared to, let's say, the trades that you see on a, on a series E type of a financing round. But, but for example, for you guys, did you have like any type of a specific trade that regardless of the financing cycle, you really, for you, it was an absolute must. Yeah.
1: For us, having a, having a long-term focus was really important. I think that all of our investors understand that we're pursuing a generational kind of opportunity, that investment management, financial services, um, businesses are, are ones that take time to build and scale correctly, that you have to get everything right. You can't just you know, wipe the system and reboot when you're dealing with people's money. Uh, and so you have to be very intentional and deliberate and careful and it's regulated. And so they're capital intensive uh, and highly competitive and all of those kinds of dynamics. They were well aware of and had a long term focus and said, you know what, we're the kinds of firms that are going to be around and stick with you um, and convinced us of that, you know, both through their 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 history of supporting companies um, and the references that that we checked on them, uh, as well as, you know, the other um, uh, types of the types of money that they raised, you know, our most recent, uh, investor, uh, Genevic, um, is, uh, in many ways, like a large, uh, they're public, but they're a large family office too. I mean, they're sort of like, they ha- they're they almost permanent capital. Uh, and so they're able to take a very long-term view. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and, and for example, in your case, doing all these different rounds, what was the, the experience and, and, and how this How did you see like the expectations that you were seeing from investors, like change from financing cycle to financing cycle?
1: Well, as we grew, obviously investors wanted to see more and more traction. They, you know, like when you're first starting out, they are really solely investing in the team uh, because uh, it was super early days. And then, you know, by the series B, be great if you could understand what's your cost to acquire a customer. And by the Series C, it'd be really nice if you could understand what's the lifetime value of a customer, right? Like you've got a little more data and can start to actually have data to back it up rather than projections. And, uh, and so that traction and continuing to clarify the business model is a process that every growing company goes through.
0: Yeah, yeah, makes sense. And, and I also see that the, um, you guys started in 2008, so probably not the... Uh... The, the best year, I would say, from an uh, economy uh, uh, perspective. So in this case, what did you learn as an entrepreneur? And especially, let's say, with fundraising, that perhaps others that may be listening may apply, let's say, if we hit another, another crisis.
1: Well, I'll first say that starting in 2008 was interesting for us because it was that crisis that gave me some of the, the energy to hurry up and launch Betterment because I saw that banks weren't serving customers as well as they could and customers were losing faith in the financial institutions. And while everyone else was talking about this is a terrible time to get into financial services, I was thinking now is when we really need new financial services and there's a moment to, to um, uh, make an entrance here. I think it was actually fortunate that we launched at that time uh, and, uh, and it would be harder to do what we're doing today The the you know, like I think companies that are starting out now face a lot more competition, um, mostly because like we've, we sort of set out, here's, here's what you can do. But at that time, um, absolutely there, there was not a fintech category. There were not a lot of investors who were excited about fintech. And so it was challenging, uh, going into a downturn. Um, and we had to talk about the long-term nature of the company and that uh, in, uh, in, in rising markets, uh, you know, people will invest. And in down markets, well, they'll continue to co- contribute to their 401ks and IRAs and things like that. And that's what we've seen, even as we've experienced volatility over the years, is that people continue to contribute to those, you know, those retirement
0: accounts uh, because it's just part of the, the annual routine. Got it. And, and now looking back, John, is there like it was there like a tipping point where you realized, wow, this is actually working out and things are taking off?
1: Yeah, I uh, have always been long term focused, but I think we uh, just hit such an inflection point around the time that we launched, um, say, IRAs uh, in 2012 uh that i realized that this thing was going to 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 make it that we were going to be there for the long haul feels like a long time ago now um and we've you know we've obviously made a ton of you know launches in progress since then um but uh i remember that moment when growth really accelerated uh and you know we'd made our you know our our second successful product launch um thinking okay like we've got a we've got a a
0: model that works. Right. And were there like any, I don't know, like strategies or, or, or growth hacks or anything around marketing that, that you guys did? I mean, I remember the ads that you guys were placing on taxis. I mean, if you're a New Yorker, you probably see them. So I'm just wondering if there was anything that looking back, you were like, "Wow, well, that definitely contributed early on to, to give us a nice push.
1: Yeah, we've done so many different marketing strategies. We've been on TV, we've done outdoor, we've done taxis, you said, we've done podcasts, we've done social, mobile, search, you name it. Um, everything works for a while and you can optimize for a while and then it doesn't. I do not believe there's a silver bullet channel out there for most people. I think you have to um, constantly optimize, constantly innovate, and uh, you know only the like really large, Companies with, you know, immense marketing budgets can sustain ongoing brand campaign and be live in every channel all the time. A company like ours has to be uh, more nimble and more creative and rely, frankly, more on, on referrals, which is our biggest
0: channel uh, for, for acquiring customers uh, and, and word of mouth. Got it. Got it. Makes sense. And your growth has been really incredible, really impressive. How many employees do you have now? 250. Wow. So if you could go back to the past and give yourself one piece of advice before launching Betterment, or let's say any business, what would you tell yourself, your younger self?
1: My favorite advice that I've been given over the years is just to make it real and do that as quickly as possible, whatever it takes. If it's just setting up your email accounts if it's designing the beta for the thing that, that you need to that you want to launch so you can put it in people's hands and they can start to touch it, make it real, make it usable, make it something that investors, customers, et cetera, can start to interact with and give you feedback on as quick as possible.
0: Wonderful. So what is the best way for folks that are listening to reach out and say hi to you, John? Uh, you can find me on Twitter,
1: John Stein. You can uh, you can find us at betterment.com. Uh, and those are the those are the places to learn more. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, John. Thank you so much, Alejandro. My pleasure.
0: You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to AlejandroCremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.